is Bad Boys and Beyond with your hosts, Mike Payton and Keith Black Trudeau. The game's over and the Pistons have won the world championship. Welcome back to Bad Boys and Beyond. We are your hosts, Mike Payton and Keith Black Trudeau. We got another great episode for you today. We're going to be talking the 2013 NBA draft. We're going to go in and break that apart and redo it. And our first glimpse, we thought, you know, this draft looks horrible. But now Keith and I are both starting to think that it's not so bad. Yeah, so... I said our last redraft was the 2012 redraft a few weeks ago, and I said this was probably the worst draft that I had ever seen, worst draft class. I still think that. Uh, the, the 2013 class, you look at it at face value, it is not a deep class at all. I, I think out of the top 10, 15, there's a very, very sharp drop-off where you're going to struggle to find uh, NBA players, period. Uh, but the, I think the top 10 to 15 is is – very solid. I think you're going to get productive uh, guys that will have long careers in the league. And in 2012, you just didn't have that. We had we were we were starting to struggle after like the the sixth or seventh pick. Uh, th- this class is, I think, a little bit better in the middle. Not a lot, but it's still better. Plus, I think the the headliner of this draft class uh, is a generational talent and one of the best players of all time. Uh, so I, I think that counts for something. Without question, the Pistons are going to pick eighth in this draft, and I'm I have a player for him. We'll see if he's able to get to that point. I'm I'm looking forward to to figuring that out. But before we do that, um, we're going to talk about winning time again because Keith and I absolutely love this show, and we're a historical sports podcast. So, you know, that's what we're going to do. You guys should be watching it if you're not watching it. But so I uh. I, I guess, you know, you growing up in the 80s and uh, in the 90s, you know, Magic Johnson, uh, you know, was always this kind of a hero player. Um, I remember did I did a book report on him in like third grade, like a uh, whole thing. And actually, that was when I became a Michigan State fan. Uh, I had no idea that there was turmoil between him and Norm Nixon and the Lakers. And and there was a time, in at least in eighty one where people thought and early 82 where people thought maybe like he wasn't going to be that great okay so let's i agree with everything you said up until that last part uh magic had been the anointed one since he was in middle school uh he was he was a hero in high school he was a hero in college in just two years he took michigan state to a title uh best player in that team by far and then as a rookie in the nba uh, he was not the best player in that Lakers team, but he was the second player, third, if you want to look at it cynically. Uh, he, he was an extremely good player his entire career, very charismatic. Uh, but, yeah, uh, the one kind of blip uh, on his on his image as a player uh, comes in the season that we're covering right now, the, the end of the 1981 season where he comes back from injury maybe a little too soon, uh, disrupts the chemistry of a team that was playing very well, and ultimately is so bad in the playoffs that they get knocked out in the first round. And Magic was the worst player on that team performance-wise. So we go into to the 81-82 season, which starts out with uh, Paul Westhead once again trying to implement, very stubbornly I might add, implement his system, impose it on his players. And he kind of misses the force through the trees in that, the players are what win you championships. They were, they, they're what win you games and championships in the NBA. It's not the system. The system simply is meant to put the players in the best position to succeed. And if the players aren't buying in, you, you have to adapt or die. And Westhead stubbornly decides to go down with the ship and his, uh, his uh, Shakespeare quotes, but um, back to magic. Uh, th- this was kind of the one point in his career where the media and the press and the fans were all kind of uh, very disapproving of, of what he was, was doing because he wasn't playing very hard. He clearly wasn't buying in. He was complaining about his role uh, after the end, at the end of every game. All of these things are, are fact. These are things that actually happened at the time. 
And what you're going to see the next episode is when, when Paul Westfall, spoiler alert, uh, when Paul Westfall gets fired. Westhead. Uh, I said Westfall, didn't I? Yeah, yeah. it's West. West. <laughs> I always get those two mixed up. All right. So, yeah, when Westhead gets fired, uh, the blame is going to lie squarely at the hands of Magic Johnson, who did not uh, did not directly demand a new coach. He demanded uh, to, to get traded. But, you know, Magic, even as young as he was at the time, he knew that they weren't going to trade him and keep the coach. No, they were going to fire the coach, which is what they're going to do. And all of the scrutiny comes down on Magic for this. Uh, it, it is one of the, I think, the pivotal points in his career uh, because how he conducts himself from that point on to the end of the season, uh, he's going to do what Magic Johnson does. He's going to be one of the best players on earth, and he's going to – to get win everybody that's left over and he's going to get the Lakers back on track. Uh, but this is, yeah, to, to people that don't remember or, or haven't heard about this story of this 81, 82 uh, Lakers team, this is probably an eye opener because this is a side of magic that you probably didn't even know existed. Yeah. It's, it's definitely been uh, eye opening. Yeah. Because like I said, you know, he's just, I just remember he was always in like the don't do drugs ads and all that stuff. And you just, you think of him as like this uh, uh, wholesome guy, which, you know, I, I still think that he is, but like, it just, there was just a whole side of the story that, that I just wasn't alive for. And now I'm learning it for the first time. I, I just love this show. I, I can't wait to see where things go. And I hope everybody watches because the last thing I want is for this thing to get canceled. So yeah, it, it would be heartbreaking to me if they yeah. didn't bring back winning time for a third season. And look, HBO or, or Max or whatever they call themselves now, I don't think they're doing great to begin with. So I, I think it would be a very big mistake to do away with one of the few shows that's actually getting pretty well uh, well acclaimed critically. And look, I don't think this, there's no way this show cost them that much to make compared to like Game of Thrones or something with all this, all, all these uh, high high dollar special effects. I can't imagine this joke cost them a whole lot. Other, other than Adrian Brody, what other uh, big name actor is even in this? Well, all due respect to Isaiah Quincy. Yeah, you know, the other thing about this show is that uh, they they shoot it with, they're shooting it with a lot of old uh, old tech cameras. Like they they shoot it with multiple different, multiple different uh, cameras and uh, they do film and they do like a whole bunch of different things. So it, it's yeah, like you're saying, it's not a very expensive show to, to to make, and it's not like they fill arenas with extras or anything. A lot of times, you don't even see the crowd; it's lit like so di dimly. But yeah, yeah, you gotta. This show needs to keep going, but we'll we'll see we'll see what happens. But let's uh, let's go ahead and jump into the 2013 NBA draft. I, you got any news and notes for this one, Keith? Uh, just briefly, a couple of things. I, I guess the main one is this draft uh, may have been the most wide open draft in NBA history. Uh, it isn't now, obviously. It's the most obvious number one pick in NBA history. <laughs> but in, in retrospect, no one really knew who was going to go number one in this draft. Uh, this is the, the first and only time I've ever seen mock drafts have seven, eight different players all mocked to go number one. And they are, they were all serious about it because every what every prospect had something you liked about them and something you didn't like about them. There was just no clear cut number one, no clear cut number two. Uh, there was just a bunch of talented, uh, semi talented players, and no one could figure out who was going to be the best. Uh, so the guy that actually went number one in this draft, I, I vividly recall him uh, seeing him mocked it at the seventh and eighth pick in some mocks there it was it was just a crapshoot and that's what i eventually think happened was uh, the the team with the number one pick threw a dart at a board and that's who came up uh, the other oh, i'm sorry go on. well i was just gonna say i pulled up a couple mock drafts just to just to reiterate what you're saying and let's see uh bleacher report had alex len going number one uh chad ford when he was at espn had nerland's noel going number one SB Nation had also had Nerland's Noel. Uh, yeah, so it was just kind of everybody. Yeah, those players went, in reality, they didn't get picked anywhere near 
No. You're the first uh, pick. Uh, the other note, and this is the this is the thing that I'm more excited about is this is the last official year of the Charlotte Bobcats. This is the last time you will hear the word Bobcat on this podcast. No one could be happier about it than me. Uh, one year from this time, the New Orleans Hornets gift the the Hornets uh, likeness and the name back to uh, the city of Charlotte. They change their name to the Pelicans, which I think is a pretty cool name to describe New Orleans. I know everyone is still nostalgic about the New Orleans jazz, but one, the New Orleans jazz sucked. And two, I think the Pelican is actually a, a pretty symbolic bird for New Orleans. Uh, I, I, I really do like that nickname, even though a lot of people don't. They uh they seem they seem to really love it in New Orleans. Uh, I mean, we were there uh, about a year ago, and and there was Pelican stuff everywhere, and everybody had the jerseys. So they seem to like their team. Maybe concerned about Zion, but that's a whole nother thing. Right. <laughs> uh, I believe right. it is. I believe it is your turn to have the number one pick. It, it is uh, unfortunately because there's not a whole lot of drama here. Uh, as I said before. Well, in real time, the draft was wide open. Uh, in retrospect, it clearly isn't. <laughs> uh, with the number one pick, the Cleveland Cavaliers, uh, already having Tristan Thompson and Kyrie Irving under their belt and Deion Waiters, who I'm not going to discuss again because Deion Waiters wasn't very good, but he was a top five pick. Uh, the Cavs select uh, one Yantes Atitikumpo uh, out of Greece. I'm not saying it again. Because <laughs> I know I pronounced it correctly the first time. And, yeah, what, what else can you say about Giannis? Uh, a couple of MVPs, uh, a finals MVP, ironically, one of the years where he wasn't named the MVP. Uh, Seven-time All-Star, five-time All-Defense. Uh, he is going to go down possibly as the greatest power forward of all time. We don't know that he's not there yet. He's not at Tim Duncan's level yet, but understand his career is still very young. He was drafted uh, as a teenager. Uh, he hasn't even turned 30 yet. So, it, yeah, it, it was interesting in this draft, and I keep talking about how this is a, a really shallow draft. Giannis was not even a lottery pick in actuality. He was the 15th pick uh, by the Bucks, who had just gotten swept by the Heat in the first round of the playoffs. And Giannis was not a guy that everybody knew about. Uh, he had just, like, there had been some grainy uh, highlight footage of him uh, playing in a minor league in Greece, just, just coming off hot off the presses, like, a month or two prior to the draft is when people started really talking about him. And you, know, you never know how to react to those because a lot of times it's just a smokescreen trying to get a player that you don't believe in uh, to rise up the draft charts so that someone you actually want will fall. I mean, there's a lot of like cloak and dagger stuff that goes on pre-draft uh, in the NBA. So it, there's a lot of guarded optimism maybe with him. Like he was everybody's uh, big unknown project. And the thing is, everyone remembers how Giannis worked out. 99 times out of 100, they don't work out. You just never hear from the player again. Sometimes they don't, they're not even good enough to play in the NBA to begin with. Giannis is, is the greatest success story of all of the projects that have ever played the game. Uh, he, he is just such an incredible player, despite the fact he, he's still, even today, a mediocre shooter in a league that loves shooting. But he's so damn big, athletic, and skilled with the ball, and he has enormous hands. Or he can just get to the rim and dunk on you, and you can't even react to it because he's so tall and his arms are so long. And he look, that's not to sell him short. He does have some <laughs> tremendous ball handling uh, skill. He's a pretty good passer. Uh, but I think I think that run that he made uh, in 2021 to get the Bucks all the way to the title, uh, that's an all-timer. Uh, th that's a guy. This is a guy that that clinched a championship with a 50-point performance, which had only been done one other time in NBA history by Bob Pettit, and that was in the 1950s. So yeah, how does he fit with the Cavs? You put Giannis on the Cavs, you pair him with Kyrie Irving, forget everybody else, and. Yeah, does LeBron still come over in a, in a, in a couple years? He might. Um, it depends what – because Giannis was not great right away, but it was kind of clear, pretty clear that he was on his way and he was just a project that needed a lot of work. I, I am very, very intrigued uh, 
to see how LeBron would pair with Giannis. Because Giannis, as I just said, he's a guy that's not a shooter. Like, would you be putting Giannis at center uh, as a pick-and-roll partner with LeBron? I mean, that would be downright scary if you played Giannis at center, but that's also not his best position. Uh, so I, I don't know. That that might be a fascinating pairing. Uh, at first glance, you're thinking, oh, my God, those are two all-timers. Uh, with Kyrie Irving, how could it not succeed? I, I'm just looking at how the pieces fit. Oh, I would imagine that uh, LeBron would have come in and immediately had Giannis traded. I mean, that's also possible, <laughs> yeah. right? Like he did with Wiggins. Because um, Giannis wasn't quite ready uh, around the time LeBron joined the Cavaliers. Right. I like the, it, this is the weird thing. The Bucks actually drafted Giannis. Uh, it, it is the beginning of a rebuild. Like the Bucks were had one of their worst seasons of all time. <laughs> the season after this with Giannis, uh, they they drafted him because he was so young and had so much potential for for that si- singular purpose. Because they were planning on tanking because uh, they had their eyes set on the next year's uh, top of the draft class. They weren't even thinking that Giannis was going to be their franchise guy, and it turns out they they got lucky. All right, so the number two pick belongs to the Orlando Magic, uh, who have, I believe they've just lost Dwight Howard, or they they had lost Dwight Howard. Yes, he's gone. Uh, Yeah, so uh, they're kind of in in the middle of a rebuild as well. I... I don't even remember what their roster looked like in 2013. It's uh, actually pretty interesting. Uh, they've got they've got a young Tobias Harris going into, uh, I believe, his second or third season. They've got a young Nikola Vucevic. They've got Aaron Aflalo. Okay, so Vucevic. That's that's you. You pretty much got me there. Vucevic and Aflalo. Yeah, and Tobias. Because we know. Well, yeah, but they never really gave Tobias a chance. No, I, I yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Um so I the, the <clears throat> they they originally take Victor Oladipo and that's not a horrible pick. I think Oladipo's a good player and I think he'll probably he'll he'll definitely go in this draft today for sure. Uh but I think I'm going to go with uh, a guy who can get you some buckets and CJ McCollum is is you know the second best guy in this draft when it comes to putting up points. Uh, this is a guy that's going to get you 20 plus points a game. And I mean, he's a solid, solid player and, uh, he could be your number two. Now they aren't going to have to go find a point guard because all they have at this point is Jameer Nelson, because obviously they're not drafting Victor Oladipo anymore. So they're going to have to find a point guard next year or something. This is going to be a team building thing, but I think CJ McCollum could come in and immediately have an impact. Yeah, so CJ and a lot of Piston fans would remember him uh, during this summer of 2013 because he was a, he was a guy that a lot of uh, people had mocked to the Pistons. Uh, he was that guy that that led uh, Lehigh, uh, a college that no one in the basketball world had ever heard of before and will never hear from again, uh, to a first-round win over Duke in the NCAA tournament. Uh, look, I, I, I say all the time, that Drazen Petrovic is the best player I've ever seen that didn't make an all-star team because he died tragically uh, before the league realized how good he was. But if, if, if it's not uh, Drazen Petrovic, then the answer is probably CJ McCollum. Uh, he has an uh, most improved award to his resume. And that was the funny thing. CJ McCollum kind of dropped out of existence uh, after he was drafted by the Portland Trailblazers for a couple of years because they had such a rock solid backcourt with Wes Matthews and Damon Lillard. Uh, but as soon as uh, Wes Matthews left in free agency, uh, CJ McCollum stepped right in and he, he went from being a, a 14th guy on the bench to, to being a 20 point scorer in the NBA almost overnight. Uh, I will, I will never forget it. Uh, I I've been a part of a, a fantasy NBA fantasy draft, uh, uh, auction league for a very, very long time. And one of our guys uh, picked CJ McCollum and it only cost him a dollar and no one else bid on CJ McCollum. And to this day is still, that's the, still the biggest theft I have ever seen uh, in, in our fantasy draft league. Uh, it was, I, I'm still mad at it. You won in the whole damn league. I think, 
So, yeah, how, how does CJ fit in with Orlando? I really don't care about anyone on that team uh, other than Nikola Vucevic, who obviously you put CJ in a pick and roll with Vucevic. I, I think you've got a combination that'll last you the next 10 years. So, it, look, he's not going to make Orlando much better right now, but Orlando doesn't need to be much, much better right now. They need to keep getting high draft picks. Okay, so, and just just FYI, I also had CJ number two on my draft board. All right, so the number three pick uh, belongs to the Washington Wizards, and this is really interesting because the Wizards have John Wall and Bradley Beal. They have their backcourt of the future and the present. So I am going to go against my own rule, which is never draft for fit in the top five, but I feel like with the benefit of hindsight, I kind of have to. Washington Wizards select Rudy Gobert uh, out of France. And what else can you say? Look, Marcin Gortat uh, was a rock for the for the Wizards in the 2010s for a while. Uh, I think he did an admirable job. He, he certainly wasn't a bad player at all. Uh, but the, the problem with the with the Wizards was always that they, they didn't defend the rim very well. They didn't rebound very well. Uh, they, they had problems defensively, uh, both on the perimeter and the interior. And this, despite being an excellent offensive team, and I think Gobert just swallows up that, that interior defensive weakness uh, in one pick. Uh, you Look, you can say what you want about Rudy Gobert that – his offense is extremely underdeveloped. He doesn't finish well for his size unless you lob him the ball. Uh, he, he's, in a, he's essentially a non-factor unless he's in a pick and roll uh, as a role man. Uh, these things are all true, and you can kind of exploit him with five-out play because he doesn't chase the perimeter very well. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that he is the most dominant interior uh, defensive presence uh, of his generation. I think that needs to be noted. Uh, the, the Utah Jazz at one point in, had the best record in the NBA for the entire season simply because he would shut everything down defensively and they had so many shooters surrounding him. So clearly that formula has been proven to work. They just didn't have the, enough talented players to make it work in the playoffs. That's some of that's uh, on Gobert for not being a superstar, but you know, there's no other superstars on this board. So I, I, I'm, I'm loving the fit with Rudy Gobert uh, on the Wizards with uh, Wall and Beal. I, th I think that'll be a nice little combo. Yeah, that is an interesting one. I, I actually had a different player going there, but uh, I maybe I undervalued Gobert a little bit. But um, yeah, no, that's I like that pick. That's good. All right, uh, so the number four pick, uh, before you say it, Belongs to the Charlotte Bobcats. There it is. Last yeah, time. Yep, it, it tastes like gruel every time. Uh, the Bobcats have Kimba Walker. Um, not a whole lot else because Jordan can't draft, as we have as we have all seen. Uh, so, who do you got for us? Well, uh, as you mentioned, they've got Kemba Walker, and uh, his running mate at this point is uh, post Pistons Ben Gordon. And Gerald Henderson. Henderson is is fine. You know, he's a decent player, but I think you could move him to the bench and get somebody on out out there that can uh can score a little bit more and, and really help the uh the Bobcats or soon to be Charlotte Hornets uh go out and have a better a better run. And I think Victor Oladipo is the way you gotta go. Uh solid player. This is a guy who scored 20 plus points a, a game in multiple seasons. Uh, led the league in steals in 2018. It's a multiple-time All-Star, great defender. I think that him and Kemba Walker would be a a pretty f formidable duo. All right. So yeah. By, by the way, just looking at this this Bobcats roster, it, it's how did Steve Clifford not win Coach of the Year? He <laughs> somehow this team won 43 games and got to the playoffs. Where of course they got destroyed by LeBron James in Miami, but uh, they shouldn't have been anywhere near the playoffs. Mm. That Jesus, that that was a great job. Um, I do like Steve Clifford. So you, you picked Oladipo, correct? I did, Victor Oladipo. Okay. All right. So 
yeah, it's kind of weird. Oladipo was seen as because Indiana was really, really good. A lot of people had them winning the championship uh, in 2013, and they didn't get nearly that far. But they were number one in the country for a little bit, and it, the credit went to two guys. One of them was Victor Oladipo, and everyone thought that he would be uh, the best wing from this class, or some people even had him being a point guard, which he never was. And he, he goes to uh, Orlando. It doesn't work out. The You know, they wind up sending him to Oklahoma City <laughs> for Serge Ibaka. And it's actually kind of worse in Oklahoma City because he winds up standing in a corner watching Russell Westbrook dribble a ball for 40, 40 minutes a game. And everyone seems to think that they know what Victor Oladipo is because now he's gone to two stops and hasn't really stood out. And he finally gets on his third stop in like three years. I mean, it's almost like Billups like where he was a top five pick and he's just out of sight, out of mind. He goes to Indiana is, is part of the package for Paul George. And he turns into an all-star almost overnight because Indiana was the first team of the three to really just give him the ball and get out of his way. Uh, very, very good defender uh, on offense. Uh, he kind of reminds me a little bit, in his prime, he kind of reminds me a little bit of what Jaden Ivey is now and what the type of player that Jaden, I, I hope Jaden Ivey will, will become where he was, his burst was so good and he would just get to the basket. He would beat people with quickness and athleticism where you knew he was going to drive to the basket. And a lot of guys couldn't stop him anyway. Like he, he nearly single-handedly knocked the, the LeBron and the Cavaliers out of the playoffs uh, in the first round at his peak. He was that good. Like, he beat the, he embarrassed the Cavs in game one of that series in 2018 to the point where they doubled him on every possession just about for the rest of the series just to get the ball out of his hands. That's how good Victor Oladipo was uh, before the injuries uh, started taking him down. Uh, I, I really love the fit with he and Kemba Walker, even though I think they're both kind of high usage guys. Uh, I think Victor can play off the ball a little bit, but as you saw in Indiana, I think the best option for him was giving him the ball and getting out of his way. Uh, but look, I, I, if Steve Clifford can get that mess to the playoffs, I, I think you give him, if you give him Victor Oladipo, I, I think this guy's the limit for, uh, for, for Charlotte basketball. Uh, maybe not next year, but in the future. So uh, number five pick belongs to the Phoenix Suns. And I'm trying to remember who the heck is even on the Suns at this point uh, in 2013? Because they're just kind of a, a team that's a mess. Um, Basically nobody. Well, I mean, they've got, yeah, they've got like 12 six men on here. Barbosa, uh, P.J. Tucker, Eric Bledsoe, Channing Fry, Tragic. Uh, yeah, Mark Markeith Morris. And Marcus. Uh, oh, yeah, they're right. They have both Morris twins at this point. Uh, or they, at least they still do. And yeah, Dragic is clearly the most, uh, the best playmaker on that team. And unfortunately, I think we're kind of out of playmakers. <laughs> we only had a couple or three, and they're kind of all off the board. So I'm, I'm going to have to go with uh, uh, the best fit here. And geez, man, uh, this is going to be tough. Uh you know, with the number five pick, because silence is not good for podcasts, uh, the the Phoenix Suns select uh, Stephen Adams. Okay. Uh, out of, I believe out of Pittsburgh. Yeah, Stephen Adams. Uh, look, every, everyone loves to poke fun at Stephen Adams for being kind of an 80s throwback, 90s throwback, where he's a space eater. He's a plotter. He's in the NBA mainly because he's tall and he's very, very strong. He's a very large human being. Uh, he looks like Aquaman on steroids. Uh, but look, there's also a reason why everywhere Steven Adams goes, the team wins a lot of games. And I think you saw that, especially with Memphis this past season. As soon as they lost Steven Adams for the season, they couldn't recover from that. Uh, they, this is a team with, with Jaron Jackson Jr. and John Morant and Desmond Bain, and they could not recover from losing Steven Adams. That's how critical he was uh, to their success. Uh, Steven Adams will never approach an all-star caliber season. 
but what he does, he does extremely well. He's one of, if not the best screen setter in the entire league, a uh, pretty good passer. Uh, can't shoot a free throw worth a damn, but that's okay because he rarely gets the ball. Uh, excellent interior defender. He just does all those little things that people laugh at today because they think it's obsolete now. No, the, those little things that the centers did, like that the good role player centers did in the 80s and 90s, those still win games today. And Steven Adams is living proof of that. Uh, how does he mesh with the Suns? Uh, the, the Suns are just kind of floating in nowhere right now. But I don't think there are too many guys in the league like Steven Adams. So I think if you put him on the Suns, and they start to amass talent later on, uh, much later on. But he'll still be well in his prime by the time guys like Devin Booker. Uh, and look, I, I just thought of another uh, consequence to this. If Steven Adams is on the roster, do they draft DeAndre Aiden? Mm. Probably not, right? So, no. and who? Yep, so they're going to take one of those guys maybe after DeAndre Aiden, uh, you know, like uh, Jason Tatum. So they was the same draft, right? I, I do believe so. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So I, I actually think I'm saving the Phoenix Suns from DeAndre eight. Not that Aiton was a bad player, but he was clearly not the best player in his draft class. Or no, no, it was, um, no, it was Luka Doncic. I'm thinking of not, not Jeez, Luka. Jeez. That's yeah. even better. So, yeah. <laughs> well, is it? I don't know. I guess Tatum and Doncic would probably be on the same level. But either way, it's it's better than DeAndre. Yeah, Ayton. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right after DeAndre, Ayton, you had Trey Young and Luka Doncic and, and Jaron Jackson Jr. So all of those guys, obviously, better players. So I'm actually feeling really, really good about this uh, Stephen Adams pick in retrospect. All right, so the number six. Moving on. Uh, on behalf of the uh, uh, Hornets, who have acquired Drew Holiday uh, from the Sixers. The Sixers now have the number six pick in the draft. Who you got? All right. Well, looking at this team, uh, you know, this is, they're at the the very beginning of the trust the process uh, movement. You know, they originally are going to take Michael Carter Williams this year and he somehow wins rookie of the year. I, I don't know how. I don't even know if he's going to go in this draft, which is would be insane if the rookie of the year doesn't get drafted in the redraft. Uh, we'll see what happens. But I think there's a much better point guard out there, and I'm going to go with him. I'm going to go with Dennis Schrader. I, I just think he's such a, a, a underrated player. Like, you know, this is a guy who will get you 18 points a game, six assists. He's he's a good facilitator. He can play defense. There's a reason that teams keep trying to get him. Um, you know, he's he, – I think he's just a, a, a much better player. He's a bigger upgrade. I, I think that they, this will also save them from uh, uh, drafting uh, – what's his name? The n- next year, uh, the other point guard – who they wound up getting rid, rid of to Orlando. Why is this guy's name escaping me? I'm trying to remember who you're talking about. Uh, the Sixers, um, they draft, oh, man, what was that guy's name? Hold on. Now I have to look it up because it's driving me crazy. And and I, the, the Sixers drafted him the year after this. No. And then, and then who was it after that? Oh, you, oh, you're you're thinking. Oh, okay, never mind. Yeah, you're you're thinking of um, uh, Markel Fultz. Yeah, Markel Mar- Markel Fultz. Yep. See, they're just going to get rid of Markel Fultz anyways because he's not going right. to work out. So this is just this will save them from that. Uh, I think they've got a point guard who's going to be their point guard for for quite a while in Dennis Schrader. So this is the one uh, great find that I've ever had in my non-existent scouting uh, career. So I remember several years before this, it was 2011 at at the very latest. uh, I was just looking over some, I used to watch a lot more international basketball back then because I was obsessed and trying to, trying to find the next uh, good NBA player that no one ever heard of. And this is the one time that where it actually worked for me, where I, I saw Dennis Schrader, who was not who was he was ranked on boards, but he was nowhere near. No one was ever saying he was an NBA player. 
And I remember watching him play and, and thinking, wow, I, I hope the Pistons can get him in a couple of years because he's really, really good. He's raw, but he's got incredible speed, uh, very good first step. Uh, I think he finishes very, very well. I, I think he's this guy. I think I'm going to see this guy in the NBA draft in a couple of years. And, and lo and behold, a couple of years later, uh, Dennis Schroeder is on everybody's draft board. So I'm, I, it's a rare pat in the back for myself because that's the only time I've ever quote unquote found somebody before they hit big uh, in Europe. Uh, Dennis Schroeder, he's, he's, he's been successful wherever he's gone. Uh, I guess the, the problem is he's also, there's a reason why he keep, he can't stay in one place too long. He's got a bit of an ego problem. He is kind of limited of, with the fact that he's not a great outside shooter, not a very interested defender. Uh, he, he's got some rough edges to his game, but if you just put him in position to do what he does well, like the Lakers did, uh, you're going to get a guy that's going to be really productive for you, at least offensively. Uh, how does he mix uh, with the Sixers? It, I don't care. They're about to go into the process. None of the guys that they have are going to be on the team when the team starts to win games. I, I think uh, Schrader would fare extremely well in that environment when he doesn't have to worry about keeping anyone else happy. He can just go and do his own thing. All right, so uh, number seven, the Sacramento Kings are up next, and they definitely need a two-guard. Uh, but I'm not going to select the two-guard that they selected at the time. I am going to select one Contavious Caldwell Pope out of Georgia. All right. And, yeah, and, and this is kind of me slapping myself in the face because I couldn't wait to see KCP leave when he was here uh, because he did have a lot of issues. He didn't develop as quickly as I think anybody wanted for a top-10 lottery pick. Uh, he still had struggles, uh, inefficiency, shooting the ball. Uh, he, he, didn't, he was never much of a playmaker. He could only dribble with his right hand. Uh, didn't finish extremely well with his left either. Uh, I thought his defense was a little undisciplined. Uh, but all that being said, he developed into an extremely good uh, 3 and D role player. And he's shooting a lot more efficiently now, playing, in, playing on teams that aren't exactly, uh, you know, crap like the Pistons were, pardon my language, uh, in the early 2010s. Uh, he has started on his second championship team in the last uh, four seasons. That should say something. He, look, even though his number, he's he's not a volume scorer by any means still. He's not a guy that's going to get you 20 points a game, but he, he's evolved to the point where he can keep himself in the flow without needing, the ball, needing shots all the time, which was his problem in Detroit. If he didn't give him the ball, he would kind of fade away. No, he, he's very comfortable with himself now. He knows his role. Uh, it's to play suffocating defense and knock down shots when you're left open. And that's what he did very well for the Denver Nuggets this past season. And I also would like to remind uh, Piston fans, including myself, that complain about uh, him on draft day, that in the redraft, uh, the Pistons won't have a chance to select him because uh, he, he was actually too good <laughs> for his draft slot in retrospect. Oh, boy. Um, well, I actually really, I love the way things are about to work out for the Pistons. Actually, uh, I do too, because I think I know where you're going with this. The, okay. the Pistons are up next, uh, with the number eight pick, uh, just FYI, we've got, uh, Brandon Knight. Well, we're not going to have Brandon Knight much longer because he's going to get traded for Brandon Jennings. Yep. Uh, the Pistons are about to sign Josh Smith. I hope they don't, <laughs> uh, and they have Greg Monroe and Andre Drummond at tow. So I'm just setting the stage for you, Mike. Uh, stage is yours. Let me further set the stage. Let me put a scenario into your head, Keith. We're uh, we're at the Palace of Auburn Hills for the draft party. The crowd is chanting, you know, draft Trey uh, or Trey Burke, draft Trey Burke. They they want him so bad. You know, he's a local Michigan guy. Uh, I'm not going to do that, obviously, but I, I am going to draft his teammate, Tim Hardaway Jr., okay. uh, whose dad will actually join the coaching staff next year. And uh, I think, you know, you have yourself an actual two guard who can go out there and score some points now. And I, I think he's a starter from day one. Uh, 
I mean, what more can you say? This is a guy who can get you at the at least 15 points a game, at least 15 points a game. And like, you know, he's he's a solid player. He's not his dad, but he's he has been a great player in the NBA. And that's why he keeps getting contracts. And that's why Dallas loves him. That's why they're keeping him around. And that's why, you know, like he's just a great player. And and I think that uh, this is going to work out very well. Uh, especially with his dad coming in as as a coach next year. I, I think Rain is kind of overselling it. That's great. Um, it's going to work out great. <laughs> I mean, there's a reason why everyone kind of uh, turn up their noses at the thought of trading for Tim Hardaway Jr., uh, bringing him to Detroit over the offseason, because uh, he, he, he always gets paid more than people think he's worth. And he, he does have a little bit of an injury history. But look, I will say this. Uh, imagine if the Pistons picked a player from the University of Michigan with the eighth pick, and it wasn't Trey Burke, it was Tim Hardaway Jr. Yeah. Oh my goodness, that would that would have been received much worse than Contavious Caldwell Pope. Because Joe's whole reasoning was, well, I didn't want to pick the hometown kid just because he was a hometown kid. Well, what if you what if he did that and it wasn't even the hometown kid people wanted? Oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, but yeah, look. I'm, I'm certainly not going to argue Tim Hardaway Jr.'s credentials uh, as one of the top 10 players in this draft class. I think he obviously is. Uh, excellent, uh, excellent shooter, uh, both three-point mid-range, uh, pretty good score overall. Uh, doesn't do much of his own creating, unfortunately, and a, not a very good defender. But in terms of the things that he does well, I, I think it's great from a guy that, how he even got to the University of Michigan is he, he look, he grew up in Miami because his, his dad played for the Heat, and that's kind of where they had their family. And he wanted to play for the University of Miami. The University of Miami told Tim Hardaway Jr. that he wasn't big enough, he wasn't strong enough to, to play in the ACC, he wasn't good enough. Like, that's the it's half the reason why he found his way from the to the University of Michigan is because John Beeline took a chance on him. And, you know, for, for a kid like that, who was on high on nobody's board, uh, I don't know if he was like a one-star or two-star uh, prospect in, in college, but he wasn't a good, he wasn't talked about at all. And then he goes to Michigan, he's a, a starter right away, and he becomes one of the leaders on the team that goes to the Final Four. I, I, I think Tim Hardaway Jr.'s story uh, is actually pretty interesting, and I, I think he would actually do well on this Pistons team that very, 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 very much needs a volume three-point shooter. Uh, we thought it was going to be Contavious Caldwell Pope, and it, unfortunately, it wasn't. Uh, but I think he's he. I think he's going to be better earlier than KCP. So I think this is actually a good pick, especially since this is Joe's last draft. Okay, so the number nine pick, and we have a a little swapping of picks here. Uh, this did belong to the Minnesota Timberwolves. They traded it to the Utah Jazz on draft day for the 14th and 21st picks. So in, the Utah Jazz are, in fact, on the board. And, man, the, they stole one here. Uh, the Utah Jazz select Otto Porter Jr. Uh, Otto Porter Jr., uh, for all of the <laughs> the issues that people have with him, he's almost become like the, the Tayshaun Prince on a worse team where he's, he's good at – so many things, but he's great at nothing. And he's not very good at creating for himself, which kind of leads people to say he's overrated. But you know what? He's a team player. Uh, pretty good defensive player. And he is the single most efficient three-point shooter in this entire draft class. Uh, he's not going to create a whole lot of offense for himself or others, uh, but he is big as hell. Uh, <laughs> pretty good physical wing. Uh, excellent outside shooter, especially spotting up. Uh, how he fits with the Timberwolves, who I think have uh, – I they still have Kevin Love for another season, right? So Don't the, uh, don't the Jazz pick here? Oh, yeah. I, I had it mixed up. Yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. So, yeah. How does he fit on the Jazz? Thank you for saving yeah. me. Yeah. Um, phew. How does he fit on the the Jazz have Gordon Hayward? I remember that. Uh, they have. Do they still have Al Jefferson? I believe they do. I think they've got Al Jefferson, uh, Gordon Hayward, Sundiata Gaines, uh, the legendary Sundiata Gaines, and I think that's pretty much it. 
Yeah. So, yeah, this this team is, yeah, this, this team is really bad. <laughs> There's no. They have Alec Burks. The oh, Alec Burks. Okay. Team, yeah. And Derek Favors. So I I don't think it really matters. Uh, yeah, I think Otto Porter Jr. could play just fine alongside Gordon Hayward. I think that would be a nice wing combo. And I don't think Richard Jefferson would mind. So I'm liking that fit going forward. Obviously, without Gobert, they're going to have to find a center at a different spot or maybe ask uh, Derek Favors to play that spot long term. I don't know what the deal is. Uh, But I I think Porter Jr. and Hayward down the road would be a really, really effective wing combo to build your team around. Okay. So... Uh, with the number 10 pick, the Portland Trailblazers are up, and I just got them talking about how they had a rock-solid starting five. Uh, Dame Lillard, Wes Matthews, LaMarcus Aldridge, um, Nick Batum, uh, I think Robin Lopez was the fifth. I mean, this is clearly a pretty good team already. So yeah. who do you got? Well, I think um... – I think what I'm going to do here is, uh, I, I, you know, like you said, it's a, it's a rock solid team already. So I'm going to go with uh, a guy who can come off the bench for them and get some points. Uh, you know, isn't uh, get some rebounds as well. Like this is a solid uh, all around player who is more of a journeyman in the NBA. I actually went undrafted in this draft. I'm going with Robert Covington. Nice pick. Yeah, uh, I think that you know, again, like this is a guy that. 13 points and six rebounds like that's that's pretty good uh that that that'll certainly help the blazers uh coming off the bench and uh yeah i, I like what this pick can do I, i'm surprised when you see a guy like this who has such a long career and find out that he was undrafted uh like it doesn't make a whole lot of sense but I, maybe he was a small school guy i'm not i'm not 100 sure oh tennessee state yeah that explains that uh, so yeah, no, I think Robert Covington is, is a good fit with, uh, with the Blazers for sure. Yeah. Robert Covington, not just a, a guy that can shoot threes. He was in all defensive team selection at one point. Uh, he, he was the envy of everybody, every other team in the league that wished they had Robert Covington <laughs> to the point where I almost think he became overrated because he was such a, uh, he was the ideal three and D wing at a time when those, when three and D wings were, were absolute premium. And you didn't care about uh, offensive creation as much as a guy that can space the floor and play defense. Uh, but I, I absolutely love Covington's fit in the Blazers. He actually does become a Blazer later on, uh, a little bit too late to make an impact. But, yeah, this is already a 50-plus win team. And if you, you add Robert Covington to that as a reserve, because that was the one te- thing that that team lacked was depth. And I think Covington – really helps them a lot at the three and four spots backing up. Uh, I think this is actually a sneaky, really impactful draft pick. All right. So the Philadelphia 76ers are up at the, uh, wait, they, oh yeah, that's right. They do have the second. Okay. So they have two, two draft picks. Yep. So this is their own. Uh, again, we, we just got done talking about, about how they're trying to bottom out. All right. Uh, we have, they have Dennis Schroeder already, which isn't going to stop them from bottoming out. Uh, and I guess I'm going to look for like there's no real high potential guys left on the board. But I do see a guy similar in the vein of Robert Covington that I'm, I'm sure will be with them when they're ready to win again. And that's Reggie Bullock. Uh, oh, wow. OK. I didn't even have him on my board. Really? Yeah, maybe I should have. Wow. So, yeah, R- Reggie Bullock, another 3 and D wing, not as much on the D side, but definitely an excellent uh, spot-up shooter. The Pistons, ironically, kind of resuscitated his career after he goes to Phoenix and really doesn't find a home there. Uh, Stan Van Gundy brings him in, uh, puts him on the court, and he, he earns his way from there. Uh, excellent, excellent spot-up shooter. I can't say that enough. I know he he moves around teams a lot, but he always finds a job because there's always a role for a guy that can shoot 40 plus percent from the corners in the NBA. Uh, it, even today, it's just 
like, I don't have a whole lot more to say about it than that. Uh, I, I think the, the duel of uh, Bullock and Schroeder is definitely not going to make Philadelphia fans happy because there's no potential. I mean, there's some in Schroeder, but not a whole lot in Bullock. But, but these are the more sensible moves that they should have made uh, before they were ready to go out and get the superstar. Because these are the types of role players that have seen could win you games and win you championships. All right. So up next, moving on along, the Oklahoma City Thunder are, are, uh, are up next via the – do you remember how they got this pick from Houston? Uh, this is James Harden trade, right? Correct. He. This is their their lone first. Can you imagine uh, today if if they a team traded a a guy with the potential of James Harden for one first round draft pick and a, and, a, and some scraps? No, that's just and, and, and a guy with really really bad knees and Kevin Martin. Like, God, it's crazy. Out Sam Presti gets gets credit and rightfully so for being you know one of the best GMs uh, of his generation, and yet he got so thoroughly destroyed in this trade. It was. <laughs> Wow. At least, at least beyond belief. Like, let somebody else go. Like, I don't care if you decide you, you, you don't want to pay all three guys. Let somebody else go and keep arguing. What are you doing? All right. And you sold low on him, too, after he just completely fell on his face in the finals. That's, that's part of the reason, I think, why his trade value was lower than what people thought. All right. I'm sorry, Mike. Go on. That's uh, okay. Who are we, who are we uh, picking to go with uh, Russ and KD? And Serge Ibaka. Well, as you mentioned, there's Kevin Durant, there's Reggie, uh, not Reggie, uh, Kevin, you just said Reggie Bullock, and now we've got Reggie on the mind. Uh, there's Kevin Durant, there's Russell Westbrook, there's uh, Serge Ibaka, as you, as you noted. What this team really needs is a center, and you took the center that they were yeah. going to draft away very early in this, uh, in this draft. Uh, so I'm going to replace that center with another center, uh, Pistons legend Kelly Olenek. <laughs> to the, the Oklahoma, <laughs> to the Oklahoma City Thunder. I mean, he's a solid, you know, decent player. He's he he could shoot the three ball as a big man. Um, you know, he he's uh, he was actually all rookie uh, this 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 season. Uh, but no, he's still still a very uh, usable player today. Uh, he's he's not not a huge scoring threat or anything like that. He'll he'll top out at like twelve points a game, but. But he 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 can do he can work well with spacing. He could really help you out, and uh, he, I thought he was good with the Pistons for that forty games. I mean, it wasn't the best season of his life, but but he I thought COVID. he I thought he was decent. Yeah, yeah, he got COVID. They kind of took a little bit out, out of him. Plus, he, he but I will always be grateful uh, to him for hitting that game winner in Charlotte that I was in attendance for. Oh, that was a great. And I was that I was able to record as it was happening on my on my iPhone. Um. Yeah, so you wound up picking a completely opposite player from Stephen Adams. Uh, not at all good defensively. Uh, one of the few NBA guys with a wingspan shorter than his height. Um, but offensively, hell of a player. Excellent shooter. Uh, very skilled. Great footwork. And I'll, I'll say this. Stephen Adams is a certainly – I think he's a better player. I think he makes teams better than Kelly Olenek does. But I think Russ and KD would have oh, so much more fun playing with Kelly Olenek just because he spaces the floor for everybody. Uh, I, I think he makes them lethal offensively. It's just you would have a hard, very hard time getting stops with, with, with uh, Kelly Olenek trying to – like Serge Ibaka would really, really have to cover for everybody. <laughs> yeah, he'd have line. to pick up some even more slack than he already was. Yeah, he really would have. But uh, look, I think in, in the half court offensively, because that's the one thing that – that kind of held people held against the Thunder is that they didn't have enough outside shooting other than KD that you could kind of sag on the drives to the basket, especially against Russ. And you know, I think if you, if you put Kelly Olynyk on the floor at the five it's, and really space things out, I, I think that dynamic completely changes. I just think you have to find you know a way to make it work defensively, which I'm not sure you could, but it would be fun to it would be fun to watch that play out. All right, so. Uh, up next, the 13th pick uh, belonged to the Dallas Mavericks, who are still uh, kind of coming off of their uh, their hangover from winning the the NBA title a few years prior. They've still got Dirk, who is still he's 35, but you know he's still a pretty damn good player. They still got Sean Marion, once again 35, but still a pretty damn good player. 
Uh, we, we just got Monte Ellis and he does Monte Ellis things, which are good for everything that doesn't involve winning games. And let's see, we got Jose Calderon as our starting point guard, and we've got Vince Carter as our sixth man, who was 37 at the time. Jesus, this is an old team. It's a good team, but it's an old team. And as I recall, they nearly upset the Spurs. Yeah, they did. They nearly upset the Spurs in a 1-8 series uh, in the first round coming up, in the season coming up. So they're still good enough uh, to scare people. What, what, what team are we talking about here? The Mavericks? Dallas. Did, yeah, didn't they trade this pick to Celtics? Did I? Did I miss one? Yeah, I think you did. Um, yeah, they traded this pick to the Celtics. I'm trying to remember what they got for it. Uh, let me look. You're absolutely right. They did. Yeah. And I just, I just talked about that. Okay, so yeah. the Mavericks <laughs> are going to remain unchanged, everybody. <laughs> All right, so yeah, yeah, he, yeah they traded it. Yeah, this is why I don't remember uh, because they traded <laughs> he traded uh, a couple of second rounders and Lucas Naguera, who is we just got done talking about how uh, in the well in the Giannis discussion we were talking about how most projects you never hear from him again. Lucas Naguera, uh, I believe, out of Brazil was one of those guys yes. where everyone was so excited uh, for this kid and he just completely uh, flatlined in the NBA. So yeah, my mistake to my uh, my apologies to my audience. Uh, I screwed this one up. That's so. Right. So the number thirteen pick, as I was saying, belongs to the Boston Celtics by way of Dallas. And yeah, the the, the Celtics are still good, but they're very much in the same predicament as <laughs> the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, they're a former champion that is getting on very very old uh, very quickly. So I could really do anything with this. Uh, I am going to go with one Seth Curry. Uh, Seth Curry, uh, the the younger brother of St- uh, Steph Curry, uh, goes to Duke almost entirely because of Steph Curry, who Steph Curry is, because Duke passed on Mike Shishovsky, uh passed on Steph Curry, uh, wound up sending him to Davidson. <laughs> college instead here in charlotte and so mike shashevsky decides i'm not going to make that the same mistake twice and he basically takes seth curry his younger brother uh, simply because he doesn't want to get egg on his face twice and seth as as we all know excellent shooter not quite as good as his brother but that still makes him very good uh, i think what he lacks that his brother had was the the excellent ball handling skills and I think he, his brother was also bigger and a lot more sturdy defensively. Seth has always been been crushed in the NBA uh, in isolation, especially in the playoffs. He got he got picked on a lot. Uh, but you know what? A team like Boston that doesn't need him to be Steph Curry, they just need him to be Seth Curry. I I, I think I look at him and I, I think of guys like Eddie House, uh, you know, the one dimensional. Uh, spot up shooters that that all good Celtics teams have had coming off the bench. I think if you just stick him in that one role and ask him to be a floor spacer, I think he can be really really useful even in a playoff series. Uh, the, the only question is, can he stick around in Boston long enough uh, for for that uh, rebuild to come around and for them to get back to being a perennial conference finals participant? But yeah, I I, I still th- I look Seth, Seth to me is the best player left on my board anyway. Uh, with the exception of one person who may or may not get picked uh, with the 14th uh, selection, who which belongs to the Minnesota Timberwolves on behalf of the Utah Jazz. Uh, Mike, you're making our last selection tonight. What do you got? Oh, well, so I look at this Timberwolves team and it's, it's, you know, they've got Kevin Love uh, still on the team. Um, Ricky Rubio is, uh, is is new to the team as well. They've got uh, Chase Buttinger, um, to, but but Kevin Kevin Martin, as you uh, mentioned earlier, guy with bad knees. Uh, but man, they 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 lack they lack like a center. They just don't have it. Uh, and I think that I think that's the route I'm gonna go. You know, I was tempted initially to uh, go point guard, but you know Ricky Rubio's here and he's he's just fine. So. 
that basically concludes that the rookie of the year in this in the actual rookie of the year from this draft is not going to be uh selected today which is just insane to me to even think about but i am going to go with i've got two centers that i'm looking at here and i'm just having a hard time picking but actually you know what it, it i this made it so much easier I, yeah i don't i don't think it's a debate to be honest no. with you I'm going to go with Mason Plumley. Yeah. Uh, just a, you know, better score, but, but really he's a much better rebounder and, and, a, you know, he's just a better defensive player too. So I just had to go with him. Uh, still in the league, obviously had a pretty, pretty decent season last year. I think uh, yeah. seven, seven and a half points, seven rebounds. That's not what, what more could you ask for from a guy off the bench? Uh, so yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to go with Mason Plumley. Um, again, he's not going to change like the world in, in Minnesota, but he will be a solid starter for, for years. Yeah. Mason, uh, the, the last non Detroit, non Kate Cunningham, Detroit Piston to record a triple double, uh, kind of an interesting guy because he comes from the Plumley family, which if, if you know anything, they all went to do, they're all tall white guys. Uh, they got kind of got this uh, reputation of being guys that weren't uh, cut out to play in the NBA. And Mason was the one that kind of bucked the trend. He he goes to the Nets as their one young guy in this team of geriatrics, and he is actually one of their most consistently productive players uh, on, on the Brooklyn Nets. And he he goes from there. He kind of bounces around the league because look, he's a terrible shooter and he has a god awful uh, free throw percentage. His form sucks. Like, these are all things that are true. Uh, but the fact of the matter is he's not just a, a plotting space eater either. He's He's got a decent handle. He is a fantastic passer. He's, he's one of the best passing centers uh, in the NBA, uh, even today. He's a very, very good passer. Uh, very good lob catcher. Uh, very, very springy. Uh, way more athletic than he, than he looks. And... Yeah, how does he fit with the Minnesota Timberwolves? I don't really care. Look, I, I think he fits well with just about anybody, any version of this Timberwolves team for the rest of the decade. If you pair him with Kevin Love, I think they they pair very well together, inside outside. Uh, same deal with Carl uh, Anthony Towns. I think he could he could certainly exist with Carl Anthony Towns. Uh, I, I don't think that he would last that long because the Timberwolves historically do not make good decisions. So I don't think they would keep him any more than the Nets did after his rookie contract. But uh, he was clearly the best player left on my board. So I was kind of hoping you would pick him because I think he deserves to get picked here. Uh, but yeah, uh, number 15 on my board was in fact Michael Carter-Williams, in case you were wondering. I, I, I had him on my board too. I just didn't know... I just I couldn't fit him in anywhere. No, and, I couldn't. Eat, well, I wasn't trying to, but like I could for maybe a scenario where the 14th pick already had you know three centers and they needed a, a guard or perimeter defense or something, and maybe Michael Carter Williams sneaks in there, but no. And I'll say that I think this is the very first time the top uh, 14 picks on my board have all gone. I didn't have one player drop out of my top 14. I don't know if you did, but. Yeah, you know they didn't all go in order, uh, but most of them did. And yeah, you you and I combined to to draft my entire uh, big board. Reggie Bullock was the only guy I didn't have on my board. I was actually I maybe I should have put him there. I just I I just didn't think that he had enough sustained success over the years. I I, I don't know. You know maybe I, I mean, overthought it. Still a little in the bit. League. Yeah, he is still in the league. Yeah. Yeah, he was good for the Pistons as well. Uh, yeah, he, I mean, he was he was good in some stops, not so good in others. But look, in this draft class, which is is bad, not the worst, but it's still bad. Uh, I, I felt that the skill set that he brings to the table was well worth being one of the top fourteen players. It's the fact that he's such an accurate uh, shooter, uh, very good off the ball, uh, does a lot of good things offensively to help you win games. So. Uh... That'll wrap it up for the 2013 NBA draft. Keith, uh, what do you want to do next week? Because we don't have anything on the schedule. Oh, we'll, we'll figure it out and make an announcement. What if, and 
this is just an idea. Uh, we put up a poll and had people vote for for what they want us to cover next week. I'm on board with it. Let's live dangerously. All right. We are going to put up a poll on Twitter. And uh, I think Spotify has a, has a poll feature that we're able to use um, for uh, Spotify for podcasters, which uh, there's a cheap plug for our, our one and only sponsor. Uh, but I think we'll put that on there too. So we'll come up with some, some options and we'll have you guys vote for the first time ever. We'll have a poll up and we'll see what you guys cover or what you vote for. And we'll cover it next week. See you then.